I know we have been standing a while, but uh, join me in standing as I read God's word. It's Hosea chapter 14, chapter 14, starting with the first verse through the end. Return. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never say, again say, our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. God says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like the cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. You may be seated. Well, welcome on this Memorial Weekend Sunday gathering. It's the weekend that we remember those who paid the ultimate price for our freedom in this country, for which I am grateful. Yet, we are reminded that Jesus paid the ultimate price of freedom through his sinless sacrifice on the cross and the empty tomb. This sacrifice secured my destination, and I pray that yours too that we will be with him and we'll be part and we are part of his family kids in his kingdom because of this sacrifice Jesus reminded a gathering of people one day where uh, one day with a question about they were asking him a question about their where their loyalty should be anchored and how it should be anchored in and his response to them to this question which was which is the greatest commandment He answered this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus made it possible not only to redeem, have a redeemed relationship with God through his death and empty tomb, but by the powering of his Holy Spirit, that by that love that put him on the cross, that we could have the same thing, that same love for others. And even as I heard and listened to you pray, Especially, uh, I, I really sense that there's a deep love for the Lord, a deep love for his word and realizing that his ways are to be walked in. These are what we're called to be. Well, this cross and the empty tomb is our hope realized. 
It is really what uh, we end Hosea with in chapter 14, right at the end. But before we get there, we need to walk through a few things. That hope is a ray of sunshine through the darkest clouds of their days that were replete with sin. And while there are always consequences for the betrayal that we have against God and that they had, God who loved them pursued them with a holy love to liberate them, liberate them as a people. Even at the writing of this manuscript, what Hosea was doing or whoever was doing it at the time from him, the liberation was quite quite uh, far away yet. But what we find out in this manuscript that Hosea is a prophet during the reign of the king Jeroboam II, and what we followed is that during this period of time, Israel was economically flush. They were well off economically. Their worship and their dependence pivoted away from God, but to other nations around them because they were well off. This warning we read in the Old Testament, like, do not forget me, and they forgot God. They didn't even acknowledge him. This language that we understand is in, the old, in this Old Testament is not just, not that they didn't know him, because they, we read that they still went to worship. They still went through the ritual duties, but they did not know him personally. And they lacked that relational intimacy that he so desired from his people, that he loved and that he had liberated. Israel's sin, as we find out, is adultery. It's idolatry. They worship and created alliances with lesser loves around them. So in order to get their attention of his people, God had the prophet Hosea marry a promiscuous woman And after their marriage, Gomer chases after lesser loves. She's enticed away. She is dragged away, if you will, by her internal moorings, not the external moorings of who God is and this internal desire that God had for her and for them. Into an adulterous relationship, Gomer goes. But this is the incredible thing, where maybe some of us would abandon our spouse in that situation. God had commissioned the prophet Hosea to go redeem her through a cost, a significant cost. And this redemption of Gomer was a redemption, was a, is and was a reflection of God's redemption of his wayward people caught in the sin of adultery and idolatry. As we read, and as you have maybe been journaling and reading through yourself, you understand that most of Hosea are these charges against Israel in their sin. But as we read just a moment ago, God's desire for them has and always will be for them to return to him with their full full self that they would return to this this idea of becoming a blessing not only for themselves and a community unto themselves, but really becoming a blessing to the nations, going all the way back to Abraham's covenant, covenant, that you will be a father of many nations. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of 
our hearts when we have abandoned God and he is chasing after us with his, as we sang about earlier, this reckless love. I mean, when you read Hosea, as somebody commented to me that they'd never heard a sermon out of Hosea before from our congregation and were kind of a little skittish about me even diving into it, I can understand. Because this is a picture of God that we don't often kind of see ourselves in or allow ourselves in a communal setting to read through. But it's a love of God that he has for you and I that gets demonstrated in a hope realized, in a hope realized that we'll take in a few moments. This picture that he paints with Hosea and Gomer is just incredibly strange and uncomfortable, peculiar, but of his faithfulness to us and to his people. It is an incredible picture. In chapter 14 of Hosea, there are several things that we see that will transpire, and I want to walk through these quickly here this morning as we move towards communion as a reminder and a promise to each one of us of what not only he said to Israel, but what he had promised to us, I believe, through Christ, that God will heal, that God will heal. Hosea 14.4 says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I, I, I got to thinking about this, especially on this weekend, Memorial Weekend. We oftentimes spend time with family if we're able to do that that freedom that we would want to have with our kids or those around us can be best illustrated with open hands this hand in hand picture and yes ours is the small one and God's is the bigger one that he desires us to be near to him and to have that same kind of intimacy God's act of redemption is his open hand to us, and it allows us to come to him. But only a good God can and does say that he will heal our waywardness. Have you ever found yourself, uh, while you've been praying, finding yourselves wandering to the to-do list? I mean, this is minor, but we do, don't we? Or to the tasks that need to get done. We, we find ourselves in a place with God and then all of a sudden our mind shifts by, it seems, by nothing on our part to something that is quite different from God. If you will, that's, that's what God is saying. He'll heal us from this distractions that get in his way. He, that he will come by and heal us. In that classic song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, there's a line that we all sing with some sense of truth, I believe, running through us when we sing it. It is this line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The rest of the words go this way. My heart, here's my heart, take and seal it for thy courts of love. It's only God who can actually heal our hearts of their waywardness. It's, it's he and he alone that can actually do the redemption in our hearts as we chase after him, as we 
move towards him. It's, it's not just simply a wandering, though. And that's not what Israel experienced, a just a wandering. There was a distinct separation from the God who loved them and had liberated them. They worshiped other gods around them. They gave themselves and their hearts to other things around them. And God and God alone is the only one who can heal that waywardness in us. God says that he will provide. He says, I will be like the dew to Israel. Now, mornings like this morning, when our dog goes out to take care of his bathroom needs, I have, and we have, hanging by our back door, a towel to dry his furry paws, or like this morning, he not just got his paws wet, but he likes to roll around. We have to, we have to dry him off. And I find that dew in the mornings, or rain at other times, but dew in the morning, just a tad bit frustrating. But God says in this passage that the dew that is delivered is a dew of provision, that it's part of his hand to us. It, it covers us. In fact, I, I spent just a, a, a few, I've spent a few days in the arid desert a while back, and, and I don't know if you know this, but in those places, there are at times dew, but at other times, there's no dew at all. It's just parched land. It's, it's, it's this dry land. And so when we see dew that is hanging on the grass or hanging on our plants, we realize there is a provision provided that only God could have known. There are facts Areas around the globe where vegetation does not get significant rainfall at all. Yet, in those places, Chile, Peru, Mount Carmel is one of those, by the way. Those places get a significant amount of dew on a regular basis. The air is colder. It provides this moisture that doesn't come out of the clouds, but is provided from that exchange that happens and is laid on it. That is a provision from the Lord. And sometimes I think we're looking for a tall glass of water and he's provided us with the, if you will, the dew, the moisture, and he says, I will provide. This is enough. I think even as I was reflecting on this aspect personally is that sometimes God provides, but it's not the what I want provision. It's not the way I want it. But he says, I will provide the dew. How about this week? Has the Lord provided dew in your life and you've kind of ignored it? You've kind of passed it? You've not thought about it? But he has been present in your life and you've kind of went, eh. He wants you to recognize it. He wants you to see that. But check out what the dew will do. God will bring renewal through this. In Hosea 14, 5 5 through 7, it says he will... He will blossom like the lily. This is Israel. Like the cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like the olive tree. His fragrance like the cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. All of these pictures, these word pictures are to to get us to recognize that God desires to allow us to flourish once again. 
He wants to bring that to us. That not only will he heal us, which we're like, oh, would he? Can he? Will he? Yes. Will he provide provision? But he will bring about renewal in places and spaces we have yet to experience. And yet even places like Texas or Buffalo. I believe his desire is to bring about not only healing and to show his provision, but to bring about renewal as God's people engage in those places that we will once again be in his shelter. Just as Israel will hunger, they had not gotten there yet. This is the point. They had not gotten to the fullness of the consequences that the nations around them will will take them over and they're going to hunger for God's provision, his healing, and his renewal once again. But what does this mean for Israel? It doesn't mean literal trees per se. What does it mean for them? It means there'll be a community once again found in for them and uh, not too distant future but far enough that they will desire for it in Jerusalem once again as a people that they will ultimately this is the ultimate gift and it is our gift that they will be in relationship once again with the Lord their God Yahweh who provides for them the one who heals them the one who brings this about but how does this happen how do we receive, how do they receive healing and how do we receive healing? How do they receive provision and how do we uh, receive provision? How is it that we will be granted renewal and they will be granted renewal? By returning to God. By returning to God. Return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Return in this passage doesn't mean, it means to turn. It's kind of this, this terminology, we'll get to it, of repentance. It's completely moving from where you were standing and looking at and absorbing and worshiping and everything and turning back to God and walking back to him. It is a complete reversal of the way you've been living. Jesus tells us three parables in Luke 15 that are very popular. But the last parable, the son who took the money and ran comes to his senses eventually. He realizes the life he was leading and the food he was eating was far less than his servants were being, his father's servants were being provided and wonders, hey, I wonder if my dad will take me back. I, I wonder if he'll allow me back in just to serve him and alongside his servants. And the incredible thing about that story and it's a Jesus story told to us about our Heavenly Father is that the Heavenly Father is constantly and continually looking for those who return to Him. And we know from that story and if you do not know, look in Luke 15 and see the wonderful love of God, the holy love of God demonstrated. We see that the Father runs to Him and before almost any words could be exchanged, there's a there's a cope, there's a robe placed on, there's sandals and a ring placed on the son who was gone, who had been gone. God desires us to return to him. He desires the world to return to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He desires all to return to him. 
and to know his love, this holy love that pursues them. We can understand a little bit of this desire of seeing people return, I think. We probably of all have people or relationships in our lives where things were healthy or things were good and then things are broken. There's unforgiveness and there may be bitterness. There's brokenness in the relationship. And so we can, in probably not so clean or healthy or holy ways, understand how we desire those relationships to be healed and be returned back to some former way. God's desire is even greater than our desire for us to return to him, to return to a God who loves us thoroughly and completely. But we still have to ask the question. We can turn to him, but we have to, we have to do one more thing. Through seeking God's, we have to do this through seeking God's forgiveness. Hosea 14, 2 says, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins. Receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. God's saying that there will be a day in the future that there's hope on the horizon that Israel will seek God once again. And when they do, that when they surrender and seek him with all their heart, when they say, Lord, forgive me in their way, that forgiveness will be granted. But what does it mean to seek forgiveness? One, it means that we seek the right relationship we were to have with God. We're seeking resolution and, resolution, uh, resolution and restoration to the relationship that we put down our pride and we return, yep, before the Lord. And we say, I was wrong and you were right. It's a confession of the heart that I turned, you didn't. I was wrong, you weren't. He says, there's one last thing. How does this transpire? He says in 14.3, in acknowledging God only. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made, for in you the fatherless find compassion. God's saying that not only do we return to him, but we seek forgiveness, but that we acknowledge that he is the source of everything we need everything. Our military might doesn't come from the muscle and the weapons we hold. Our, our political standing, which we don't even need, only comes being kids in his kingdom. That's it. We're citizens of his kingdom. That is where we, when we acknowledge it, we acknowledge that. And we seek him and seek him only. Psalm 20 says this, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That is his desire. Yet we know that there's a deeper sense of this word acknowledge in this, in this manuscript of Hosea. Have you ever been to family reunions? You have, you know, aunts and uncles, great aunts, great uncles, all of those people right? They're your relatives, but they're distant, and the only time you ever get to know them is in those spots or places, or when uh, a close-up relative tells you about those relatives that are like way off there, wherever there is, 
right? You only see them a couple of times a year, you know? And, uh, you know, sometimes they're only, only when you're traveling through that space of the country, like, oh, yeah, I do have a, hey, I wonder if they'll put us up because I don't want to pay for a hotel. Okay, we've done that, right? Hey, remember, we're related. God doesn't want that kind of a relationship with you. He doesn't want it with Israel. He never did. He wants this intimate relationship with you. Can I just tell you another provocative uh, reading in the Old Testament that often we don't know what to do with it and it's never, not often preached through very often is the Song of Songs. Right? I know we cast it in this light that it's a, a, a marriage, you know, this is a marriage manuscript. But that's not how the Jewish people saw it. The Jewish people saw it as an intimacy between they themselves and God. That the Jewish people had this, this, this love affair, this relationship of deep intimacy with God. That is the kind of intimacy God desires with you and with me and with his church. He desires that. And that's what Hosea continues to pursue for us. That God's desire, this holy love pursues you for that deep intimacy of heart, mind, soul, and strength. Not only individually, and we can personalize it all day long. We're good at that as Western, Western followers of Jesus. But he desires for us to see it involved deeply in our community. That intimacy of love is expressed not only in singularity, but in plurality. In our plural verbs, like we, you. You is not just you, but us. So how do we keep in this relationship? How do we, how do we realize the hope that is promised at the end of Hosea 14? It is the practice of repentance. It's the practice of repentance that, in fact, that's what the whole chapter is about, that Israel was called to be a repentant people, not only because of their sin, but because they're, they're not God. That what they do is not always the best that they can do, the holy that they can do, and we find that the same way with us. If you're to catalog the week in your mind or lay out the week in your mind, where in the week did you miss the mark of being God's holy person to someone else? Where did you miss the mark of being even the right person for yourself? How many times have you said to yourself, man, I was such a, and it's not a good term, you see, when we do that, we, we, we live less than what we have been made. God's desire for us and his great design for us is to know how well we are loved. That we live in his, as we prayed early, his mercy, grace, and love. And his hope is extended before us. Romans 2, 4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? 
Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from his sin, from your sin? God's desire for Hosea's, for the, for the people that Hosea was writing to and illustrating uh, God's holy love to was for them to turn from their sin. We're reminded that maybe we contend this morning, man, I, I don't, it's been a long time since I've sinned. In fact, I, I don't even know if that's, if I have. We're reminded by 1 John 1, 8, 9, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, then truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, repentance is a way of life. It's a daily way of life for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Whether we sin intentionally or unintentionally, we sin and so as Rich Velotas says in his deeply formed life book, reconciliation requires regular confession, repentance, and forgiveness. It's, it's a regular thing. I love what Merzlaf Volf, the Croatian theologian says, forgiveness flounders because, because I exclude myself from the community of humans and communion myself from, from the community of sinners because I'm, I need that reconciliation, that forgiveness is found in those places where, we, where we're dissonance with one another. And we realize that only God and his holy love can do, do healing. Many scholars, they get to Hosea 14 and they, they see this, this extension of repentance being spoken. But in verse 9, many of them kind of wrestle with this a little bit, wondering whether Hosea wrote it or whether somebody added it a little bit later. It doesn't really matter. But what it does point out is that there will be those who receive this message, this holy love, this desire for repentance, and walk in it. And that there will be those who stumble on it and fall. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. As God's realized hope in Jesus Christ has been presented to us, in fact, we are still in that place. Francis is right. We're still in that place where we're not yet realize the full hope of what being in the kingdom and with God is about, but we have the hope realized in Jesus himself, which Israel did not. They had not realized that hope that could be found in him. We have that restoration in Jesus, which is the hope realized, the hope promised, the flourishing is possible, the healing is available the provision there for us. And because it is, and because it has been presented to us by, G, by God himself through Jesus Christ, who came and died a sinless death on a cross and gave us an empty tomb, we will be walking into communion this morning. Remember the hope that we have and the hope that has been realized and promised to us from Hosea, but from God himself this morning. Let us pray. 
Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Hosea speaks into this space of a hope coming. Israel, they were yet to discover the full truth, yet to discover and embrace the full truth, even as verse 9 says, yet, Father, we have that wonderful opportunity in Jesus to see that hope realized through your son's death on a cross and an empty tomb gives us victory over anything this world can assail us in our relationship with you. And we are grateful. Father, we thank you for the the manuscript of Hosea reminding us of this love that is wide and long and deep that our hearts hunger for. And this morning we have the promised sacrament to walk through to drink in again the love of God given to us through the Son of God we pray Father that you may be honored as we do this in Jesus wonderful name Amen